some Taylor Swift, man. Uh-huh. I, I'm into some Taylor Swift. <laughs> I have uh, 10 and 12-year-old girls at home, so I, I, all, I listen to a lot of Taylor Swift. Swift. So, well, Prologis is, is, you know, the largest industrial real estate owner in the world. You guys are essentially, you don't run the warehouses per se. You build them. You're a REIT. You're an yep. industrial REIT. But you guys touch so much of the economy. One of the, the stats that I was astounded by is you handle more freight than all of the parcel carriers combined, or should I say handle, more freight goes through your facilities than the parcel. About 2.5% of the world's GDP goes through our warehouses. So you guys are a significant part of the global economy. You're in every part every part of the globe except maybe Antarctica. Uh, we're, we're in 19 countries. What's that? We're in 19 countries. Okay. So yeah. it's uh, primarily U.S., Europe, and then uh, in, in Asia, China, and Japan. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening right now yeah. in the industrial side. Warehousing, with inventories being so high, yep. and the need for warehousing, what's that look like? Yeah, I, I, I think there's two major demands that we're seeing really post-pandemic. Uh, and these have been continuing for a while, but really have been accelerating the last year or two. Uh, the first one, as you reference, is inventories. So prior decade, people really went to just in demand. And we're really cutting down inventories. Um, what everyone realizes is that supply chain, once in a lifetime events seem to happen every year, whether it's a ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's tariffs, and when the list goes on, there's always natural disasters. So people are really moving to replenish inventories and move to just in case. The other driver we're seeing is also uh, e-commerce. So we've looked at statistics and to re- do about a, a billion dollars in retail sales in a traditional brick and mortar network, it's about 300,000 square feet of, of warehouse space. When you go to an e-commerce network, that increases to about 1.2 billion, uh, 1.2 million square feet. So between the inventory replenishment and then uh, the e-commerce, we see about 150 to 200 million square feet of real, uh, industrial estate demand that's currently in progress. So, well, can you repeat that again? How, yeah. When you look at the difference between our retail brick and mortar yeah. location and an e-commerce, how much more real estate do this? So, it goes from about three hundred thousand to one point two million. Four times yep. to handle the same amount of retail spend, a company needs four times as much physical real estate. Yeah, just on warehousing, because what you're doing is you're pulling inventory out of a retail store network, and that's really in the warehouse. So, rather than having, let's say one warehouse and 50 retail centers, you have one warehouse that's going directly to consumers. So one of the things that I, I'm astounded, you guys are investors yeah. in Freight Waves, we've, we've taught for a couple of years. One of the things that I, I think was an astounding stat that you told me that I had never thought about was in a supply chain, only about 5% of the cost yeah. is in the warehouse. Half of it, it's probably more today, half of it is in transportation. And, that, and that's strictly on, on, um, on, on trucking. So if you get into... Half is trucking? Yeah, so about 50% of supply chain costs in the U.S. are uh, trucking. And 5% is in warehousing. Yep. So the way we look at it, for every dollar in rent, our customers are paying 10 on their transportation network. So, so the companies in the room that are involved in the actual movement in the transportation, as they sort of think about where to put a warehouse, it's less yeah. important about where, what the cost of real estate is and more important about what the cost of transportation out of that facility is. It, it, it is. And one of the areas that we've been very focused on as a company in the last couple of years is on urban fulfillment. So as consumer expectations get more towards same day, next day delivery, 
proximity to the customer becomes more critical. Now, the real estate costs are obviously going to be more expensive in an urban center than they would be in a well outside the city. But the transportation costs and the convenience they can save well outweighs the cost of the, uh, the infill real estate. So a lot of conversation about nearshoring, onshoring. I've certainly, at least on Twitter, and have published a couple of pieces about the impact of really what's happened in China, what's happened in Russia with sort of how people think about real estate. You guys have, have, have studied this. What are you seeing? Is, there, is, there, is, it, is it real that we're going to see onshoring or nearshoring? Or is this... Um, I think there's been a lot of hype on it. And I think in certain areas it is happening. I think what you are seeing more is people looking at more stability or resiliency in their supply chain. Uh, so yes, they may be bringing it on onshore, but they're also in, in, looking at alternatives that maybe they can do manufacturing as opposed to China. Um, a lot of the stuff is still being worked through the system right now because there's a dependency not only on the manufacturer, but all the suppliers and the sub-suppliers to that. So I think it's it's going to be something that evolves. And I, my, my, my thesis is that there's going to be various iterations because you can't just pick up a single manufacturing center and say, okay, we're now going to put it in a new country because there's all the dependencies that has on its own suppliers. You think we've moved from an idea or concept of free trade to freedom trade? It's whoever. It's, it's, go and what, what do you mean by freedom trade? Well, just if you're aligned with the United States and the Western oh. Europe, if you're a free, oh, <laughs> so it's a play on a, it, it, on this. Yeah, whole, like, I hadn't thought about that. Like, that's that's interesting. And obviously, with uh, some of the geopolitical crisis that happening in, in Europe with Russia, that a lot of the political discord is around that. Um, that's an interesting one. I haven't really thought. I mean, about the, that. the question is like China. Yeah, what's happening right now in China's lockdowns? It seems like it's sort of China has violated in the mind of it. Like you think about two years ago. It was a different situation because we we're all sort of trying to learn about this yeah. virus. Whereas now we're in a situation where China is sort of out, acting outside of the norm of what we would expect of a country that's sort of responding ca- to capitalism and market economics. And they sort of broken that pact with the West to say, hey, we will be a reliable supplier. And, you know, if you're, if you're an American business executive and supply chain executive or a European one, you have to almost look at it and say, can I trust what's happening in China? Can I trust these parts of the world that don't stand for freedom and stand for people? It's an interesting concept. <laughs> You're going to stay away from that concept. I'm, uh, I'm leaning back away from this one a little bit. No, so I mean, talk- it's, it's uh, yes. I, I mean, I, I, the way I would look at it is disruption has occurred consistently in the supply chain. And a couple of years ago, we were the cause of some of that disruption, some of the tariffs and things that we were putting in place. United States, tell me. Yes, not, not Pelagius. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, the United States. But so I, I would look at it as I, I think that it's a lot more complicated, the supply chain today. And there's a lot of the dis- dependencies you have. And this is where visibility, real-time data, and things that like you guys are doing with sonar become absolutely critical. Uh, and it's something that we're spending a lot of time looking at is when you look at supply chain, how it's evolved, everyone owns different components of it. And we all kind of self-optimize for our ownership. So if you're a trucking company, you're going to optimize for your, your, your assets. If you're warehousing, we're going to optimize for whatever rent we can get. You own chassis or containers, everyone's optimizing. The steamships are optimizing. From a shipper standpoint, 
it all needs to be integrated and work seamlessly. So I think the more that we can get visibility across these different asset classes, the more that we can get a seamless interaction between them, the, you're going to remove friction, but it also allows decisions to be made in real time to, to really advance in a, a complicated world. And a lot of these situations are, are new to everyone. Uh, I mean, we haven't had a war in Europe in a very long time, and suddenly we're having to deal with the implications of that. And the supply chain needs to be flexible enough to adopt. And next year, there there'll likely will be something else that we all have to think about and, and, and work around. It's like the new, the black, the sort of the new black, black swan. swan is the new white. It's almost yeah. like <laughs> well, we're dealing like- with these like back-to-back black swan events. And it just seems... I mean, just in society, the world's yeah. changing so quickly. It's hard to sort of grasp it all. Yeah, and it's, it, it was the, the opportunity of globalization was that you could find the lowest cost, you could get efficiencies, but the challenge is globalization. Suddenly there's a lot more factors that can impact your supply chain. That when it was a very controlled environment, you could limit your, your input functions. And now there's a lot of input functions that we have control over and some of them we don't. I mean, it seems like if you're running a supply chain and you're looking at where to put your production, your sourcing, yeah. you have to have at least some suppliers yep. that are a part of the sort of Western democracy, Western capital system, or at least friendly mm-hmm. to that, like Japan, Taiwan, where Singapore, you don't have the level of exposure. Maybe yep. India sort of feels like it's in a really interesting spot because it's sort of trying to be the neutral arbiter. You guys impacted by Russia at all? Did you have any of your customers impacted? Uh, Customers, yes. Um, I mean, we have every logistics company in the world is a customer of ours. So, yes, there are some of our customers. Uh, We don't have any facilities or business in Russia. Do you have to do anything to help them respond to their, as they moved out and moved resources out of Russia? So, So, Will... You know, you're in San Francisco. Your role specifically yeah. in a prologue is venture investing. You're investing a lot of early stage companies. You've obviously invested in us. You invested in Platform Science, a couple of other companies that are here. Then 37 in total. 37. So a lot of conversation in the Valley about the sort of end of the cycle. Bill Gurley's talked about it. What is your thoughts? Do you think we're really near the end of a cycle? I- I think in all business, there are cycles. And were we in an era where capital is cheap and growth expectations were enormous? Yes. I I, I think what we've actually liked about supply chain and logistics is it is a hard industry because of the hard asset nature to apply technology in. So I don't think compared to some other sectors that we got the runaway valuations that you saw in some areas and that if it's a software only business, it in theory, it could be infinitely scalable. The challenge you have with our business is, I mean, we own a billion square feet of warehouses. You have to figure out how to integrate technology in it. People in the audience own tens of thousands of vehicles. Like, it's not something overnight that you can just flip on the switch. So I think we were a bit more measured in the run-up, but it's also been an area people have realized the critical importance that supply chain plays in the underlying economy because um, the pandemic... We were able as a country or a globe actually to get a response to it because we could work at home because of the people in this room and how the supply chain worked. Um, it also exposed some of the friction and dependencies. And that's where a lot of those companies in the room are here are figuring out how do we get better visibility? How do we get better connectivity? How do we create efficiencies? Um, 
another area we're spending a lot of time, which I think there's a huge opportunity, is around sustainability and, and net zero and of, of carbon. So we've just launched a uh, EV charging infrastructure business to help our customers electrify their fleets. And it's a very, very complicated process that requires significant work utilities. But things like that, I think if you're looking long term, there's a huge opportunity. So is capital going to become more expensive or it has become more expensive in the last couple months? People would be much more thoughtful about how they scale and grow businesses. Um, but I'm still very optimistic about the, the both the short term and long term opportunity because I think Supply chain, as you're alluding to, is so critical to making the world economy work that there's an opportunity for us to continue to do it. It's, it's, it's going to require capital. It's going to require industry know-how. Um, but there's a lot of excitement. And I mean, we've been doing this for six years. And just the amount of people that would come to a conference and be interested in this is just light years ahead of where it was even three, four years ago. A couple hundred people in their first event. Yeah. And now we're, you know, and it's interesting because... You've, you've got more people than we had pre, but yet it's, you know, a lot of B2B events are actually down. We're, we're yeah. lucky to be up. And I think it's just a testament to how big the industry is. I walk around and see people that, a lot of new faces, I think 60% of the people that are independents have never been to one of yeah. our events. So it's just showing the diversity of, and the expansion of the industry really from, from where it was in the past. And, and I think both within real estate and then supply chain, um, the, the usage of data has become more and more important to companies in order to be able to, to handle situations like we've been in. And when we were talking about how supply chains evolve and change so rapidly, how do you get ahead of it? It's, it's understanding how we can pull predictive data to make decisions that position us ahead of what's coming. And I think as industries, it's kind of incumbent on us to, to move beyond reactive decision-making until create a resilient supply chain and make decisions ahead of it so we can be better positioned to serve our customers. So, well, I've got to ask you a question. Yeah. What is the technology that you're, that you're currently invested in that you're most bullish on? And you can't say freight waves. Uh, okay, that so, was the easy one. Uh, and then the second one, I'd love to hear what technology that you're not invested in are you most excited about? Not company, but technology. Technology. I, I would say... I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'll give you two or three technologies we're interested in. I think the data visibility is a key one. And it's really how do you connect, how do, how do you allow hard assets that previously hadn't created data create actionable insights, whether it's through IoT or other methods, but then able to integrate that in with other systems and other platforms to be able to get visibility across them. So it's a combination of um, capturing data that in new ways, but then being able to integrate it with other use cases. Um, I referenced the sustainability side. And there is a lot that's going on there. Um, the combined software and the technology, whether it's different types of emergent solar panels, battery storage, and then the EV infrastructure. I think that has a fundamental opportunity to change the world in a better way. But it also, the total cost of ownership as you go through the transition will come down and be more effective from a business standpoint. Uh, it's highly disruptive to the industry as a whole, but that's one of the more exciting and I think the, um, the, on the construction side, so we do multiple billion dollars a year of construction, looking at alternative forms of construction, new materials, and et cetera, to get a greener supply chain. Um, areas that weren't investing, that not investing, that would be interesting. Uh, we're starting to look at a lot of fintech platforms. Um, what, I'm sorry? Fintech. 
Oh, okay. Um, and I think the connectivity across the different players and supply chain, a lot of things are still done manually, paper, et cetera. As we get an automated, more automated system of, of connecting data, the payments that go along with it is something that we're intrigued by. I'm glad you teed this up. And it, it, you did, we didn't even talk about this before, but we're hosting a FinTech meets Freight Tech event oh. in Atlanta on August 17th because there's this emergence of financial technology disruption happening in supply chain and around supply chain. And so we partner with Payments mm. to host that event. It's in Atlanta. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned it. We haven't and, and full disclosure, he did not even tell me about it. I didn't it, even so. know that you were interested in FinTech. Yes, so uh, I'm so going to be, be there. You'll be there. Now. Yes, so. I will be there. Uh, no, it's, it's an exciting time. Um, and I think one of the changes that we have as, as a company have gone through is we real estate's an odd business in that you spend three months negotiating a contract and then you ignore your customer for the next seven years. I mean, who really is a landlord, you don't really want your customer calling you. And, and most landlords aren't that customer friendly. We've really taken the opposite tact and realized with our billion square feet, we have an opportunity to fundamentally change how we interact and help our customers beyond just giving four walls and roofs. So partnering with people in this room to how do we connect the transportation, the 50% spend better with our physical assets and how do we pull costs out of the system? So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing transition that we're going through, but we recognize that in order to make changes in the industry, it has to be a partnership and you have to work with people and really help build the ecosystem. And that's where a lot of my team's time is spent and I, not only doing venture investing, but really forming partnerships with other companies, getting better visibility and getting more perspective to figure out how we can help fix some of the, the, these issues and really create a better world. Well, appreciate your time. You're like the orca of <laughs> venture investing in supply chain. You're, you've got this massively fast uh, underwriting criteria because you know what you're looking for. And you're still backed by this... M- very large participant in the market. So, no, and it's an incredibly entrepreneurial company. Uh, for as big as we are, we actually are able to move pretty quickly. So, it's a, it's a, it's a fun place to have work. So, I'm holding people back from lunch now. So, uh, all right. Well, thank, thank you, Will. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys.